0: Welcome to the Critical Conversations podcast. My name is Brianna Riesing, and I'm a critical care nurse with a true passion for preventative health. I've seen firsthand the impact that poor diet and lifestyle choices can have on us long term. So with each episode, we'll dive deeper into the realities of our healthcare system, what preventative health truly entails, and what you can do about it. All right. Welcome back. We are going to dive right into the continuation of last week's episode. I think that makes this week's episode 28. So if you haven't listened to episode 27, go ahead and pause right here. Go back. Tune in to episode 27, get the, get the intro of the coffee conversation, and then join us back right over here. We're going to continue about all the things we didn't get to last week and all the things that I know a lot of you are dying to learn more about. In my journey with coffee, I started realizing I was drinking too much when I was filling up my to-go healthy human coffee mug that I realized is not an 8-ounce cup. (laughs) It is more of a 16 to 20-ounce mug to hold a lot more liquid than I realized. So... I had gone from making just a small cup of coffee at home in the mornings to then making a much larger dose to take with me to work, and realizing that that was not doing my body so well long-term when I was having energy crashes in the afternoon and craving more caffeine throughout the day than I typically was in the past. So that was just an awareness for me on how much caffeine I was drinking, and when I told you guys we were going to be having a conversation around coffee, that was the biggest question how much is too much? How much caffeine should I be drinking? How much caffeine is safe for me to be drinking? Should I be drinking decaf instead? What is the benefit to drinking decaf or is it worse for me? And what's all the caffeine doing to my body? And last but not least, should I be adding all the superfoods and adaptogens into my cup of coffee every day as well? A lot of that is trending. A lot of that information is confusing. Jennifer, Heather, they're back. We're going to continue this conversation and dive right on in. Yay. Yay.
1: <laughs> so excited. Yes. <laughs> too. Yeah. This is the pro cons and figuring out how you need to make coffee work for you or if coffee doesn't work for you. uh uh-huh. Because that is a real answer, but (laughs) it is a real answer for some people.
0: Yeah, so last week we talked about all the nitty-gritty about the quality of the coffee, like what certifications you should be looking for, why it matters to be spending a little bit more on the quality cup of coffee that you're buying, and maybe supporting those local coffee shops that are doing things a little bit better versus the standard run of the mill chains that are just serving you. Just regular conventional coffee with a lot of things attached to it that you don't necessarily want to be introducing to your body. Now, the bigger question is caffeine. So, I know Jen, you're going to be the expert on this for me. How much caffeine is in a typical cup of coffee you're making at home? Is it different from the cup of coffee you're getting when you're going out to a restaurant or stopping at a local shop or Starbucks? And what is that doing to your body based on how much caffeine you're consuming first thing in the morning?
1: Yeah, and this is a big piece of how to keep coffee healthy for you is understanding what the research is saying and what they're looking at as far as how much caffeine is in the cups of coffee that they're studying. So, great question. So, a standard like drip cup of coffee should have about 115 milligrams up to 175 milligrams of caffeine per eight ounces of coffee. And With an espresso, you should be getting around 40 milligrams of caffeine per shot.
2: Which no one ever drinks just one shot. Which no one is drinking
1: (laughs) just one shot. Let's be honest. Let's just say that right there. And then uh, as far as like brewed coffee, you can get anywhere from about 80 milligrams of caffeine per cup up to 135 milligrams per cup. And I think the important thing to know is you actually want to look up the caffeine content of your local, you know, coffee shop that you go to. And typically most people are going to Starbucks because then the amount that are in Starbucks coffee versus like, if you were brewing at home is completely different. So like,
0: Right before this episode, I found a really interesting website that we are looking at different milligram contents of different cups of coffee, and depending on what your drink order is, it actually breaks it all down. Um, Jen's going to dive into it a little bit, but I'll include that link to the show notes because they also do breakdowns for a lot of the major chains like Dunkin' Donuts and Coffee Bean and a few others. So I'll put that link in the show notes. Check it out. You can really dive in to see what your cup of coffee entails, but Jen's going to go into just like the average consumer.
1: Yes. Yeah, so the, with the research, which as far as the, the health benefits go, which those include protection against neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's or dementia, improved heart health, cancer protection, especially for kidney cancer and colon cancer, uh, diabetes protection. It actually appears that people that are coffee drinkers have a reduced risk, especially for type 2 diabetes. Um, interesting research on the ability to help fight depression, which I will talk about, because it could be a really simple way to help with low moods, especially if you know you have depression. Coffee is you know, something you can get from over the counter. That's not an easy way to see if it can really make a difference as far as how you feel each day. And then it can also increase physical performance. But again, there's Specific data with that as to how much caffeine, which it's only a hundred milligrams that you need in order to enhance your workouts. It's not the four hundred milligrams that I see typically in most pre workouts. It's like nuts,
0: and those are dangerous for so many other reasons. Oh,
1: so many other reasons. Not the point of this podcast, but they're not in general. Most pre workouts are terrible for you. But and then it can also help with asthma and lower your risk of gastrointestinal diseases. And I think with the fact that they're discovering that coffee can actually enhance what's called your bifido strain of good bacteria, that besides the polyphenol content could be why it could be protective for gut issues. But on the flip side, not everyone is the same. And because it is acidic and depending on how you process the caffeine, it can be not good for gut issues. But that's why we're having this conversation (laughs) to figure out pros and cons. So just with those specific benefits, what research looked at as far as caffeine level, it does appear that drinking an eight-ounce cup of coffee across the board is not typically detrimental to anyone. So that would be around 100 to 200 milligrams of caffeine, depending on how you brewed it or made the coffee or where you got it. And then you're looking at one eight-ounce cup of coffee. There's The research is pretty positive any way you look at it with one cup of coffee. And an
0: 8-ounce cup of coffee is small, guys. Like your typical coffee mugs at home don't even fill to the top when you pour 8 ounces. Like there's room to still add stuff in. And I think that's a big misconception for a lot of people. They pour into whatever mug they have and like I said at the beginning I was using a bigger mug when I was taking it to go and I was filling it to the top not realizing the large drastic difference in caffeine I was indulging in
1: <laughs> And there but the interesting
0: thing is as far as
1: longevity studies go which there was one that was just released in 2017 that followed Um, roughly about 700,000 people, all from different racial backgrounds, which was really cool. And it actually showed that you had a decreased mortality risk if you drank three cups of coffee, which were eight ounces a day. And typically with a lot of the positive research, you're looking at about three cups of coffee for these positive benefits. Bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) Which Heather was excited about. But I do think then the other conversation, which we are going to keep breaking down, is how does your body do with caffeine? Should you be drinking all caffeinated coffee? And what other health things do you have going on? And that's the big scope. And I think the big first thing to understand, and not everyone has this information, not everyone's going to do a DNA test. Randomly enough, Heather and I know what our genetics are. From this random test we did a long time ago, we are what is called fast metabolizers of caffeine. Even though we know that we're fast metabolizers of caffeine due to our own health issues, including healing our adrenals, basically the HPA axis dysfunction that we had going on, we do not drink a lot of caffeine. We choose decaf, like. If you we people see us running around with coffee and we are not drinking caffeinated coffee, (laughs) we are drinking decaf coffee because we understand how caffeine affects us. And I will go into even how it affects hormones and other health goals that you might have. Besides, just does it make you jittery or anxious or is affecting you in that way?
0: Yeah, because it really is all just like everything else we've ever talked about in these episodes. It's really all about what's going on in your life, in your health and how your body feels today versus the next day. When I started becoming more aware of how coffee was making me feel after I had taken it out for three weeks last year and reintroduced it, I realized I don't need it every day. And there's certain days that it was making me feel terrible because I was in... Increasing my caffeine intake on days where I was already ramped up and stressed out and had a lot going on, and that additional caffeine was just making things worse. Uh-huh. Whereas a day when you are maybe have nothing on the agenda and you just went to yoga and you're meeting a friend for brunch – A cup of coffee is going to affect your body in that moment in such a more positive way than a really hectic, stressful day where your cortisol levels are already sky high, your adrenals are suffering, and your body is just like, cut me a break. I can't handle anything more.
1: (laughs) Yes, you said it perfectly. So they even show in research, stress is the major component with how your body reacts to the caffeine and how much cortisol you actually make. So. For example, people who get cut off in rush hour traffic, if they have caffeine in their system, they will double spike the amount of cortisol as opposed to someone who didn't drink any caffeine, they will not have the same dramatic rise in cortisol. So it
0: increases your stress response twofold.
1: (laughs) Yes, but then there's caveats to that as to how often you're drinking coffee, because the more you drink caffeine, you do create a tolerance for it. And so then your body doesn't cause as as large of a cortisol spike as it was when you first started drinking it, which is why if you reduce your caffeine intake and then suddenly one day you're like, I'm just so tired, I'm just going for it. And then suddenly you feel like your heart's racing and you could run around the house and you feel jittery. That's because your tolerance for your level of caffeine most likely has decreased besides this genetic component, which is how your liver actually processes the caffeine and how quickly it moves through your body. So in general, the half-life of caffeine, which essentially means how quickly does your liver process it, is about four and a half hours. And that's important to know because then if you're a slow metabolizer, that can double and or even be a little longer and all the way up to 11 hours before you clear your first cup of coffee. I don't think most people know that. So what that means, what to make that information useful is, You want to be mindful of the time that you're drinking coffee, because if you are having sleep issues, if you cannot fall asleep and or stay asleep, I would look at when your last cup of coffee was, because and if you do not know what your genetics are, of whether or not you're a fast metabolizer or slow metabolizer, which most people don't, then you want to look at the time. So I usually tell people you want to stop to start by two o'clock with your coffee. If you're having extreme insomnia issues, I would tell you to stop drinking coffee by 10 o'clock in the morning.
0: Yeah, 2 o'clock seems really late. I know personally if I have coffee past like 10 or 11 would be my most cut off Mm -hmm. I notice that I'm restless trying to fall asleep and that my sleep that my sleep quality that night just isn't the same and that's something that came to light for me last year so I would say that I'm a slower metabolizer it takes longer for it to get out of my system Mm -hmm. because I really feel the effects of it long term because some people might pour a cup of coffee at 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning and they get busy and you're just kind of sipping on it mindlessly for a while but it's still a caffeine load sitting in your body Do you want to know a crazy stat about that mindless <laughs> sipping and taking forever
1: for drinking coffee, which I'm working on this because I'm a, a classic offender of this, where I start drinking my coffee and then I get interrupted and then I have to come back to it or maybe even heat it up. That actually doubles the acidity of the coffee. The longer it sits, the more acidic it becomes. And so it's actually not good. So it can actually increase. The uh, enamel eroding from your teeth when you're drinking it and cause increased gastric upset and increased hydrochloric acid production. Interesting. Yes. So, in general, if you're someone who's like, I don't know if I do well with coffee or it seems to upset my stomach, one of the questions to ask is research shows that you should drink your coffee ideally within 20 minutes. Wow. Yes. Right? Crazy. And everyone listening says, that's not happening.
0: (laughs) Unless like we talked about with the celery juice episode, I think it was episode 23 when you talked about stomach acid, that might be a hack to increase your stomach acid.
1: No, honestly, yes. (laughs) This actually, it's a good thing to know because it increases your gastrin output and that can be very beneficial for digestive issues. But if you're someone who's on the flip side and having acidic issues, including, um, say, you know, that you have and you have ruled out that it's due to low acid and it is actually due to high acid and again work with someone that's going to help you figure out the difference between the two mm-hmm. then you drinking coffee would be a problem right yeah. like, especially in the context of taking all day to finish one cup of yeah. coffee but again this is why nuance is really important yeah. in understanding these little things because. You're like, I don't understand. I used to be fine with coffee. But it could be the fact that now all of a sudden you're a mom and you're interrupted 17 times while you're drinking your coffee. And it's now instead of before maybe a a half hour to an hour drinking experience, it's suddenly quadrupled to a seven hour experience. (laughs) Um, No, but really
0: that it's. I mean,
1: I know I've had it happen. I come back to a cup of coffee at noon, and I I poured it at seven o'clock.
0: <laughs> I've definitely seen you do that. I think you yeah. were maybe struggling with that at She <laughs> Yes,
1: yeah. in my defense, so that was decaf coffee.
0: <laughs> um, one I last one last health impact. I know adrenal fatigue and hormones is a big conversation right now. So what are a few little caveats you have around adrenal fatigue and cortisol levels and like what it might be doing to your hormones? Yeah. So
1: with caffeine, it obviously spikes, it can spike cortisol. There are a few research studies that show that it doesn't. I will put that caveat in there. But if you are someone that's struggling with with HPA axis dysfunction, which essentially means that your hypothalamus to pituitary to your adrenal communication has been disrupted. And that typically starts to give you you know, sleep disruption. You have extreme fatigue. There's no get up and go. Anxiety. You're wired, anxiety, you're wired and tired a lot. You can have low mood. Um, you can get what's called the spare tire around your midsection. You just a, a lot of, and, and including getting a lot of hormone type symptoms where suddenly your cycle is thrown off. Um, you're getting water retention. These can be signs that your, you know, your adrenals are struggling, but it's really the whole cascade. It it doesn't come down to just the adrenals. I do want to make that point clear, but to keep it simple, the adrenals get affected. So what you want to become mindful of is if your cup of coffee is contributing to And a good way to know if this is you is if you can't function without your coffee. So if you can't get out of bed or wake up or your brain stays slow functioning um, and it's literally your lifeline for life, then that is a, a red flag that this dysfunction is going on. And you do want to evaluate how you are using caffeine in your life, because if you cannot live without it, that's a red flag that you're dependent on it. And it's affecting other, especially your hormones, other processes in your body that are then going to continue to affect your health down the line because you're just throwing everything off.
0: Yeah. And that goes back to the conversation we had last week and last episode. If you are so reliant on it to the point where you feel like you have to have it, even more reason to give it a shot and see how you feel without it and really just try and taper off over a week and then try and be without coffee for three weeks and then start reintroducing it slowly and see how it makes you feel there's no better way of figuring out how any one type of food is affecting you than taking it out completely and reintroducing it. But doing it alone, don't take out caffeine, sugar, and alcohol all at the same time, (laughs) because you're not going to know which one was really truly having that effect on you. Mm -hmm. And it's more about just really tuning into how certain things are making your body feel. And I think caffeine is... Especially in the form of coffee, is something that we should all play with and see what symptoms it might actually be causing that we weren't unaware or weren't aware of previously.
1: Yeah, and it's a it's a big conversation because uh, what I would say is, first of all, as someone who has had chronic illness and uh, did get dependent on caffeine to survive life for a little while, first of all, you're that's okay. I always tell clients look, sometimes we need Band-Aids in order to keep showing up in life. And that's okay. But we need to work on ways to start to peel the Band-Aid off very slowly so that you can survive the transition or figure out what works for you without making you even sicker and crazier. Because suddenly, I'm telling you, you cannot have any coffee or any caffeine. And it's a joy in your life or it's something you look forward to. So what I would say is if you think you're dependent on caffeine and/or you you know you're dependent on caffeine, first look at your caffeine timing. Start working on giving yourself a cutoff time for when you should be drinking caffeine. So start with, if right now you're drinking caffeine all the way up until eight o'clock at night, start with stopping by two o'clock and then move it down to noon and then move it down to around 10 or 11. Just start there with reducing how long your body's being exposed to caffeine and how long it's having to process it. Yeah. And then and and that all automatically can make a big difference in how people feel just because they are removing the constant I'm drinking caffeine all day long. But and again, that is already a big transition for a lot of people. So, please Pick something that seems manageable to you. That's what I'm always telling my clients. It's like you're making a, a good positive goal, but it can't crush you. It can't stop you from moving forward, you just have to be making forward progress.
0: Right. And I think an important thing that we have not mentioned at all, and I'm actually surprised that it hasn't come up yet, is a lot of times when you wake up and you feel like you have to have that cup of coffee to get moving, it might be because your blood sugar is low or you're actually dehydrated. And there's a lot of different components to what our daily habits and routine looks like. And sometimes if you force yourself to change up your habits and have water first before coffee, You'll actually feel better and you'll actually crave less caffeine throughout the day if you can stay hydrated. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Oh, absolutely. And the other big component to this is blood sugar control. And the other big switch that every woman on the planet drinking coffee must make is eating, drinking it with your breakfast. You must drink it with some type of food, including protein and fat. To blunt the caffeine effects on the
0: system, yeah, either with breakfast or after breakfast, so you have something in your system. But the the majority of people wake up and drink coffee first, just before on an all empty else. stomach. Yeah,
1: yes, and it's it's there's there's not positive effects to that, especially as a woman, because of what it's doing to your cortisol, and then how it's going to affect your hormones long term. Just because that caffeine is just smashing into your system yeah. without being blunted and yeah. And if you are having chronic health issues, you're having hormone issues, adrenal issues, gut issues, and you are drinking coffee on an empty stomach, this is the first big switch you want to make. It's compounding it all. It's compounding (laughs) it all. And then becoming aware of what's your meal timing. Like, are you going longer than four to five hours from eating.
0: Yeah. Some Do you people, start your day with a cup of coffee and then you don't even eat lunch until one o'clock? Yeah. Like no wonder you're crashing. Cause your yeah. blood sugar and your just overall body requirements of nutrients and calories is depleted.
1: Yes. And the big thing associated with this to become mindful of is this will make you extremely anxious and extremely irritable. So if you describe yourself as someone who's anxious all the time or irritable or you snap at people, just this Piece of things and not, um, and learning about how your blood sugar affects your mood and how you show up as a human being is really important because <laughs> skipping meals is not going to allow you to be your best self. It's yeah. not going to allow you to show up the way you want. And I know we have a diet culture that glorifies skipping meals and not feeling yourself and fear mongering of oh, if you eat, you're going to become fat when in fact it's the exact opposite. We just understanding how to appropriately fuel yourself yeah. and keep that blood sugar curve um, uh, balanced is the key to health and your mood long term.
0: Yeah. I mean, I work 12 and a half hour days. I wake up at 5, 5.30. I'm at the hospital from 7 until 7.30. I don't get home until 8, 8.15. But I'm a one cup of coffee in the morning type of person. And I always have been. And recently now it's decaf and I don't really need caffeine at all. And I realized mm-hmm. that it was just uh-huh. a habit. But it's yes. really interesting to work alongside most people that come in with not a taller grande Starbucks, but a venti, like a very mm-hmm. large, what is that, 20, 24 it's ounces, 20 ounces. Yeah. of coffee in the morning. They crash by afternoon. They, Most of them will get a second coffee, a large coffee loaded with sugar and cream and all of mm-hmm. who knows what. But mm-hmm. The ones that I'm close enough with to really just sit down and be like, hey, have you had enough water today? Or what would you eat for breakfast or lunch? Like maybe there's something else before you like load up on more caffeine. Can I go get you some water? I haven't seen you drink any water today. And it really is just, it's just habit to reach for the caffeine first. But if you're well fed and you're well hydrated, your body will be running more smoothly. You won't have those afternoon cravings most likely,
2: and it'll be easier for you to transition. Uh But that's something you can do if you are trying to reduce your caffeine intake is to be really conscious about inserting that habit with a new habit. So when I talk to clients, I'll tell them a lot, just... For example, you're reaching for the coffee because the cue is fatigue. Mm-hmm. Either you're low on oxygen or you're dehydrated or you know your blood is a little stagnant because you've been sitting, you have an office job. So if you take right. that reaching for the coffee habit and just replace it with either a quick breathing session where you're like, okay, well, I'm gonna try breathing. Which, for the record, they in uh, yoga they call breathing the yogi's coffee, where you do some breathing <laughs> sets to oxygenate your brain and wake it up. Or you replace it with going to get a cup of water first and seeing what you can do. Being intentional about switching to a different habit or making a different choice will help you make the change instead of just being like swinging in the air with the cup of coffee habit in the afternoon. Yeah, that I had. like that.
0: Be yeah. mindful. Do that one thing you've told yourself you'll do first. And Uh then if you still want the coffee, maybe it's just a flavor thing and a smell that you love. And that's what we're going to dive into next. Because when I found out I was pregnant, I realized caffeine intake was something that I wanted to cut back on. And I just didn't want that to be in the back of my head later on. Like, did I drink too much caffeine? I just wanted to clear the air. and get caffeine out of my life. So, I started drinking decaf coffee. I'll add a very small amount of regular coffee to the decaf coffee if I'm brewing it, if it sounds good to me that day, or just do decaf strictly. And it's still part of my morning and my ritual and the flavor and the smell and just that routine, but I'm not getting that caffeine load with it. So, I would love to dive into that a little bit, the difference of switching to decaf and what we need to be looking for when we're drinking decaf.
1: Yes. Yeah, so for my own health journey, and I, I think for heads too, because we've both been on journeys of taking coffee out. First of all, we've done the take it out, make sure it's not irritating us, make sure it's not contributing to our health issues. And boy, did it make me sad. <laughs> it really did. I, I'm not gonna lie. I, I coffee brings me joy. You clearly. got me. You think she's just saying that <laughs> it does. And I, and I always talk to clients about, well, what brings you joy? And, and sometimes people don't even know what brings them joy. And if you if you're listening to this and you're not sure, start thinking on it, even if it's a long time ago, what used to bring you joy and joy in and of itself on the emotional component, the mood enhancing component, it far outweighs sometimes what, what people would consider negatives to things because of the biochemical reaction that your brain has to experiencing joy. And so for me, I distinctly remember on my health journey, realizing that if I could just drink coffee, because I went into this phase of, oh, I know it doesn't bother me, but everyone says it's so terrible. So I'm I'm just going to skip it. I'm just not going to allow myself to have it. I just remember having this, like this overwhelming feeling when I walked by a coffee shop and smelled coffee where I was like, oh my gosh, I, I, that I love coffee. It brings me so much joy even when I just smell it. And then I was motivated to be like, okay, I want to take a harder look at this because I want to know that I really can't be drinking coffee or really shouldn't be drinking coffee. And what are the rules? What are the nuances that I'm not aware of just because I'm blindly following someone else's suggestion or rules. And so then that's, what led me down the rabbit hole of discovering that decaf coffee is not having the same effects on your HPA axis that caffeinated coffee will. It also is not going to affect your hormones the same way. It's going to bring me immense joy. And it's also still going to give you a lot of the beneficial effects that caffeinated coffee does, including the gut benefit that caffeinated coffee does while still being decaf and taking care of myself. Because I know, as I will dive into deeper the hormone component of things is just really important for me long-term and for other people too. And again, like you said, you're pregnant and I have a lot of friends that become pregnant and they're texting me about this topic. And I think it's just really empowering to know what your options are. You get to choose and then you decide what works for you. But to start with decaf coffee, to make very clear on this point, if you are not going to choose Um, chemical-free decaf coffee, then I do not think it's the best choice for you. And I would encourage you then to skip it.
0: Yeah, I was going to add to that too. I think decaf coffee just has a bad rep in general just from flavor profile, but that goes hand in hand with what you just said, that if you're not paying attention to the quality and the processing of how the decaf is being made, that is exactly why it doesn't taste good taste good, yes. <laughs> because the way decaf coffee is processed conventionally is downright Terrible. disgusting. <laughs> it
1: is. I will never be, forget. I was so mad about understanding that. So basically you have two processes. You have what's called solvent-based processing that removes the, de- the caffeine, and then you have non-solvent-based processing. Right. So the solvent-based processing, which Heather, you can jump in on this one, uh, it com- is terrible for you, and including the fact that it's usually done with a chloride chemical. And when they first started to try and figure out how to decaffeinate coffee, they actually made people sick
2: because <laughs> of the,
1: the type of chloride molecule they were using. Yes. Actually, did build up in the body and actually caused extreme distress, including like diarrhea and um, breathing issues, and so they finally landed on what's called methylene chloride. But again, this is not completely cleared by the body. You do have some left after the processing of it. And, you know, I know the FDA says it's safe, but I just, I don't agree with the fact that with some of it being left in there. eh. And then you have the whole point of this Typical solvent processing makes decaf coffee taste terrible.
0: (laughs) Right, exactly. Just like everything else, like the chemical process is something to be aware of because and when I first started talking about decaf coffee last year, I had multiple messages from people saying, I have never thought about decaf coffee being a processed form of coffee Uh a lot of people truly thought that there were caffeinated coffee beans and decaffeinated coffee beans just like we have green teas and black teas that contain caffeine and then we have a whole bunch of herbal teas that are naturally decaf they do not contain caffeine naturally because they're herbal so I had some really interesting conversations with people that really love drinking decaf coffee in the afternoon just for the flavor and the Uh aroma And it really opened their eyes. And there's a chance people listening today have never really thought about that before either. The only way to create a decaf coffee is by processing a regular caffeinated coffee bean and turning it into a decaf coffee bean. So like you said, it's a chemical solvent process used in conventional processing. I don't want to harbor on that. We Uh know what chemicals do to our bodies. We (laughs) know what the long-term effects can be. And whether or not it's a small exposure or a large exposure, it's still an exposure over time. And if you're combining that with a conventional coffee bean grown with conventional methods and pesticides, it's just like you said. You shouldn't even be dealing with it unless you're getting a really good quality cup of decaf coffee. And Heather, you're actually the one that taught me about Swiss water processing. You opened my eyes to Swiss water processing, and I would love for you to just really expand on that.
2: Well, it's really cool because it's it's literally a science experiment where you can you can use water to decaffeinate the beans, and it is a um, it's a uh, copyrighted like
1: yeah you have to be yeah this is why it is more expensive to create swiss water processed beans because you do have to you know pay to ship it to these specific locations that have the it's actually um,
0: like a processing facility that provides a certification like if you're getting decaf that's swiss water processed you don't have to wonder if it's swiss water processed like it will legitimately have a swiss water process seal next to the organic seal next to the fair trade fair trade certified seal it's actually a next step of certified processing
1: yeah so simply put if you go and look at your decaf coffee and you go i'm not sure if it's swiss water processed
2: (laughs) decaf it's it's not not. because a company has invested so much into making sure that's the process they use they're going to tell you about it and They're so, proud of it. Yeah, and Jennifer and I—this is a side note. We will call cafes we yes. want to go to because we love drinking coffee, but mostly decaf. And so we'll say, "Hey, what's your what's your espresso? Your decaf espresso? Is it Swiss Water Process?" And usually, employees are like, "Wait, what? <laughs> I have to go talk to a manager." But you will find the cafes that know. And choose it and have it for you to enjoy. And then those are the cafes that we love to visit because we know that the decaf we're drinking is Swiss water processed.
0: And those are usually the cafes that are offering organic coffee. Yes. Exactly.
2: Across the board. They're, Across they're the a little board. More conscious. Is
0: yeah. it true that if it's an organic decaf, it has to be Swiss water processed in order to be considered organic?
1: Yes, because of what they're using. Typically, you can't get certified organic.
0: Okay. With it's the chemical wondering.
1: process, yeah, but it's not one hundred percent foolproof because yeah. you're going to have people cut corners somewhere, and that's the conversation of the, the the different seals. Like the I, I get them confused. One's green, that's the organic seal, and one's black, and one or the other means that seventy percent of the product is organic and the rest is not. And then they might use that loophole to stick mm, the processing under there. Right. I, I know I'm a Debbie. I I know, like, I can be a Debbie Downer. I really can, but I know too much. But (laughs) basically what I usually always tell people is great if you're starting with organic, but you do want to find out, even if you have to end up calling them, whether or not it's Swiss Water Process. Well,
2: to keep it easy, though, what we tell people is you shop the company. Yeah. Like, you know, when it's like a family run company um, that is really transparent in their processes. It's going to be a very different conversation of you trying to dig into how they do things. And if they cut corners, then, like, you know, it's different companies that are not transparent and are not really open with how they do things. Like Starbucks,
1: decaf coffee that you can buy in yeah. a bag is not Swiss water process.
2: Yeah. So. But the Swiss water process is, this is just totally random. I don't think people know this, but through the process, in order to get the decaf coffee, it's actually being soaked in water and green coffee extract because it creates this physics like attraction where the caffeine inside the coffee bean is attracted to the caffeine in the water outside. The coffee bean and it like gets pulled out and then that creates the decaf coffee instead of using chemicals and i think the person that created it is absolutely brilliant (laughs) Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like the trifecta though that you're looking for because we have a small amount of brands that we love and use in that they are fair trade certified they are organic and they offer a decaf Swiss water processed version. Mm-hmm. And we'll include some of those in the show notes because those are the ones that are hard to find. But then you do a total happy dance. Mm-hmm. To like, you know, your joy juice is going to happen <laughs> <laughs> when you find them. Mm-hmm. So it helps.
0: Last year, I do remember, I haven't looked at it in a while. But when I looked at the Swiss water processed website, they actually have their own website. I can't remember what it is, but I'll find it. I'll put it in the show notes. They have a website. They sell Swiss Water Process, decaf, all different types of brands that they work with directly from their website, or they'll then show you what brands you can look for in stores. But they also have a coffee shop locator of which coffee shops in your area are using decaf processed swiss Mm. water and i found that to be the most useful you put in your zip code and little local coffee shops will pop up with the logo showing that they offer decaf coffee using that process so that's a really interesting way to maybe find a new local coffee shop and start spending your money at a place that's doing things a little bit better and or just becoming a little
2: bit more aware of what's available in your area
1: Mm -hmm. it makes all the
2: difference yeah It really does. Just really quickly talking about pregnancy and decaf too, Mm. like for any woman who are struggling with this, I've had not one, but two friends who were dealing with actually miscarriages. And one of the things that they had done when they knew they were pregnant was they'd, you know, stopped drinking coffee. And it was something that was very ritualistic for them and brought them so much joy. And it created stress. In their life to have to quickly get rid of the coffee and they weren't happy about it. And then for the one she actually ended up getting pregnant, when she told herself, you know what, I am going to enjoy one cup of organic coffee, the eight ounce cup every day, and I think it's going to be fine. And I'm going to enjoy that. And It just took this psychological pressure off the pregnancy and she had a healthy baby girl. And then for the other one, she switched to the Swiss water Process decaf and said, I'm going to keep my ritual. I'm just going to switch to decaf, which I know is safe. And then again, she also had a healthy baby as well. So when you get pushed into making a quick change with your coffee, being mindful about it, but then also finding a way to work For you, like Jen said, where you don't take away the joy, but you add that thoughtfulness to it, I think can go a long way towards making it something that is really truly healthy for you.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's that's really empowering because it truly is more about not stressing about it and just what works for you. And for me, I had already discovered the Swiss water process. I had a good brand that I was using and liked. I had the decaf coffee available. I just wasn't drinking it as often. And when I found out I was pregnant, I could easily make that shift and drink a little less caffeine and more a decaf and still enjoy that ritual. And for me, it worked. And I don't have to worry about it at all. But I also sometimes when I'm out with a friend or just some days I want a regular cup of coffee and I enjoy it and I don't think twice about it because mm-hmm, small amounts awesome. of caffeine during pregnancy are not a big deal and it should not be something you're making yourself feel guilty about for any reason. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, with, with the data on that, it's in, the general recommendation is less than 200 milligrams a day for pregnant women. But the, the caveat, the asterisk that I do want to put on it is the safest is actually – less than 100 milligrams, especially if you don't know if you're a slow or a fast metabolizer of caffeine and or what's going on with your liver health, because they, they do show as far as if you are a slow metabolizer of caffeine, that going over 100 milligrams of caffeine in your pregnancy can increase the risk of miscarrying. And it actually also reduces your fertility.
0: Yeah. So that's where the half and half comes in. If you're brewing it at home, you can control it yourself and make half and half and put a little, like when I'm doing French press, I'll put one tablespoon of regular coffee grounds with my three tablespoons of decaf. Uh And (laughs) then I can enjoy as large of a cup as I want without even thinking twice about how much it it might be.
2: Nope. You sound like it. Can I tell you though, I think that there's just for some people they've never thought about the fact that they can adjust the amount of, of caffeine, caffeine. <laughs> and still enjoy coffee. It's liberating you're like yeah. no, you could have whatever ratio is going to make you feel alive and awesome uh-huh
1: and you in general, with your health, you don't ever want to be owned by something, and so if caffeine owns you like you know that you're one hundred percent dependent on it, I would encourage you to work on that because yeah. that in in general in anything like. Even a food, if you have to have a specific food every day and it literally owns your life, like if it's not there, you're upset or your day's thrown off, that's not good either. In general, nothing should own you. Something should only enhance the quality of your life yeah. not diminish awesome
0: you. At it. I think that is a great transition into the last question I want to touch on really fast. Mm-hmm. I had a question from a reader say she absolutely loves her black coffee and she has tried all the trendy adaptogens and things blended into <laughs> her coffee but she would rather just drink black coffee. It's what brings her joy and it's what she likes. So I wanted to get your take cuz I personally don't add adaptogens to my coffee when I drink tea. Sometimes I'll have a matcha, add a little bit of maca in it, and that's probably more of my superfood adaptogen type drink. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when it comes to coffee, I love just plain full fat coconut milk, and or if I feel like blending it up and making it frothy, I'll add a scoop of collagen. So mm-hmm. it's a little protein, a little fat, no sugar, and that's how I love it. So what's your take on that? Do you think the adaptogen trend is worth playing with, adding things into your coffee or just stick with the simple basics. Simple basics <laughs> will, will <laughs> take you far. Cuz
1: <laughs> simply put as far as the research goes, she's actually winning the game because black coffee is what most of this research is associated with and you're choosing basically the top dog. Like there's nothing added to it. Like you're getting those benefits based on what research shows. Yeah. And then as far as the adaptogens in coffee, I kind of smile about this one because It's counter unless you're adding them to decaf coffee, you're it's extremely counterintuitive because you're drinking something that is an upper with the caffeine and then you are putting in adaptogens, which are supposed to modulate what your body needs, you know, basically increasing being an upper and or being a downer but that's going to be highly confusing for the body because you're absolutely stimulating your cortisol with that caffeine. But then those adaptogens job is to figure out what your body actually needs going on on a cellular level, which for a lot of people is decreasing stress and calming, and you're combining it with an upper. And or if you actually did need energy, then suddenly you're double energizing yourself and you can be blowing yourself out of the water where you you literally feel like you're a runaway train of anxiety (laughs) and just I've personally been there
0: when I was first playing around with all these adaptogens and things that people were talking about on Instagram and different blog posts and just in the wellness space they were trendy I feel like they're, people are getting a little bit more quiet about them. They're not as in your face as they were over the last think couple of years. people are having
1: panic attacks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> them.
0: And they really just are so unnecessary for our day-to-day lives. I think there's power in herbs and supplements and superfoods and adaptogens when you absolutely need them. But really, it's just like we've said. It's about the basic nutritional component of making sure you're getting enough calories and getting enough nutrients. And these superfoods and adaptogens are expensive and if like you said I think that's a great point you're adding it to a cup of coffee that's supposed to up, like, work as an upper and these adaptogens are more of a stress modulator yeah. maybe the adaptogens if it's something you're into should be like part of your afternoon latte and something that's completely herbal and decaffeinated and can help you along those lines but really I think, I think you hit it it's better just to stick with the basics
1: yeah it, and I love adaptogens, but you absolutely need to know what you're doing with them and be working with someone who knows what they're doing with them because you should also only be taking them for about three months stint. And so,
0: again, I. You mean you shouldn't be mixing like five different ones all in (laughs) one drink?
1: (laughs) Not necessarily, no. Because, for example, ashwagandha, great adaptogen, love it. But if you have an autoimmune condition, this might not mix well with your immune system, especially because it's in the nightshade family. So you could be making yourself have increased joint pain, increased symptoms because you know you need to modulate your stress, but that is not the adaptogen that you should be using. You should be using something more like rhodiola or potentially even cordyceps, things like that. And But I see this all the time on social media of people just saying, oh, I'm trying this. And it's like, I wouldn't have recommended that adaptogen for your specific health goals and issues. And I think that's the big problem with the wellness scene right now and free access, which I am a huge fan of. They should not be controlled. But education is really important as far as supplements, vitamins, minerals, adaptogens, herbs, because people are combining things that they should not be combining using things for longer than they should be using them, band-aiding symptoms with things and not getting to the root cause. And I just, it's a growing problem
2: that I see in the wellness industry for sure. Yeah, well, one more thing that I would throw on to that conversation is in addition to education, it's right where we started this conversation on quality because yes. adaptogens and most additional and things that you put in your coffee... Yes. The quality of what you're adding is massive for how it impacts your body. Mm -hmm. I do. I actually will add maca to my coffee for the hormone support that it has. And, um, you know, that's one of those that I wouldn't, you shouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole unless you know exactly where it came from and if it has heavy metals or not. And the company I use, the Maca team, that's all they do is test and grow and work with Maca suppliers. But no matter what it is, I mean, even if it's the butter, because you want to do bulletproof coffee. Well, a rancid regular white butter butter compared to a really rich grass-fed butter is going to have two completely different reactions in your body so it's taking it slowly doing your research and then asking how your body's responding to what you're drinking and being open to just continuously upgrading it and learning and being willing to change but focusing on quality too
0: yeah yeah I mean, that's the overall arching message of not only this conversation, but every episode in this podcast is paying attention to how it's working for your body and moving forward from there. I think that just brought everything together full circle really well, and it's the best segue into the next episode I know Jen is dying to talk about in supplement quality during during our celery juice episode 22 and 23 we very briefly talked about taking a multivitamin in comparison to drinking a glass of celery juice and I got questions beyond questions, and I couldn't answer all of them, and/or give the amount of advice that people were looking for when it came to, well, what multivitamin should I be taking? Are these ingredients okay? I was getting pictures of vitamins and all of these things. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that means next time we sit down together, it's going to be all about supplement quality, vitamins, maybe some adaptogens along those lines, like we've already talked about. Because one last thing I wanted to touch on. Hmm. When following people in the wellness space, whether they're on Instagram or bloggers or they're doing videos or recipe videos, different things like that, you might see them using five to six different adaptogens and superfoods all at once. But you have to be mindful that they might be working with a company behind the scenes to promote a product They might not understand the benefits of the products at all and the combination effects of what they're using. It might just be that they've got a whole bunch of different products for free and now they're promoting them. So there's a lot of confusion in the wellness space. And like Jen said, if you're going to be introducing these things into your system, you really should be working with somebody and truly understanding why you're using them, how to use them properly, and when the appropriate time is to be using them and then also taking them away from your routine. So yeah, could not have said it (laughs) better.
1: Makes all the difference. Quality matters. And that doesn't mean picking the most expensive thing. It's understanding how it's made and what goes into it and the company behind it for most of these things.
0: All right. Well, do you have one more thing? I do. I do.
1: (laughs) You can't help it. I can't help it. That's why I love living with (laughs) her. Yes. it's just I won't take long. So one thing I will say: I'm going to put up a blog on caffeine and hormones, so that you can Perfect. investigate that further. If you have PMS, you know, cysts, fibroids, that I think it's something that every woman should dive into and understand. Um, and the second thing: I'm also going to put up a blog about coffee mate and coffee creamers. Um, I lovingly call them cancer mate, and hopefully that already makes you start thinking about what's in coffee creamers. I love because, that because so like you're taking a good thing and adding something that is not a good thing. And so I will also have a blog about that because I think it's really important to educate yourself about how those are made and what's in them and why they are so cheap.
0: Cool. And you guys will be able to find all of that in our weekly newsletter. I send out links to the articles that Jen and Heather write and provide amazing free resources for you so please take advantage of it you can sign up for the newsletter on our website criticalconversationspodcast.com you can check out their website at shechangeseverything.com it is loaded with so much free information and resources you won't want to miss so when you're waiting for the next episode to release it's always a great place to just fill your life with additional information and research, research we always tell you to do your own research and it's a great place to start in links to additional articles and different people and experts in the industry that we trust and that we go to as well so thank you for being here thank you for listening that was a great amazing conversation all about coffee and the next upcoming episodes we will be sure to dive into more about supplement quality what you should be looking for when buying certain supplements vitamins superfoods adaptogens that kind of stuff because it really is a tricky market and just like everything else a lot of people are just out for profit without paying attention to your long-term health so it's conversation to be had and that's why we're here. Thank you so much. You can check out all the additional show notes at criticalconversationspodcast.com slash episode 028. Have a good week. We'll see you next time.